When running a business, your employees can create all kinds of interesting situations, like getting complaints because someone on the team always smells horrible. You better talk to Bambi. With Bambi, get access to your own dedicated HR manager starting at just $99 per month. They're available by phone, email, and real-time chat, so onboarding and terminations run smoothly. Team members reach peak performance, and your business stays compliant with changing HR regulations. And with Bambi's HR Autopilot, you'll automate important HR practices like setting policies, training, and feedback. Bambi's U.S.-based personnel are dedicated to your business, giving you access to the HR expertise and personal touch you need. HR managers can easily cost $80,000 per year, but Bambi starts at $99 per month. Schedule your free conversation today to see how much Bambi can take off your plate. Visit Bambi.com slash C-Suite right now. Spelled B-A-M-B-E-E dot com slash C-Suite. Bambi.com slash C-Suite. Megan Gibson. The well-being of one person in a family affects the whole family system. This is a supportive community to share research, resources, stories, tips, and life hacks to keep the family brain healthy. Hi, and thanks for listening to The Family Brain. I'm your host, Megan Gibson, and today I'll be talking with Jen McClellan, Jen has her own podcast called The Plus Mommy Podcast, and we talk all things related to being plus size in this world and becoming a parent, becoming a mom. She realized when she was beginning her own journey in parenting that she didn't see herself in a lot of the things that were posted about parenting, and she set out to change that and to sort of create space for people who are in larger bodies to feel hopeful and excited about becoming a parent. And if this does not apply to you and you don't hear your own experience in this, I challenge you to continue listening and and try to maybe learn more about what that experience feels like to be in a larger body and to just sort of get some experience outside of your own. So I hope you enjoy this episode and I love talking to Jen. She is just a lot of fun. Thanks. Hi, Jen. Thanks for joining me on the family brain today. Hi, Megan. Thanks so much for having me. So I'm excited to talk to you. And what I love about talking to new people is I know a little bit about what you do, but I would love to hear more and get sort of more background on you. This is a series about maternal mental health, and I know you work with a lot of moms and talk to a lot of different people. Um, But I was wondering if you could just talk a little bit about how you became a person who works with moms and and how you became sort of a, a person in this space. Sure. The focus of my work is on plus size pregnancy uh, and plus size motherhood and parenthood, really. And it started from my own experience as a plus size woman. And I got pregnant in 2010 and went online and there was no positive information really on how to have a healthy plus size pregnancy. So as a person of size, it really made me feel defeated, which completely impacts your mental health and why isn't there helpful information and why aren't there maternity photos where I can see smiling faces? It's just, you know, overweight pregnant people from the neck down. Like Mm -hmm. it was very depressing and isolating. Um, But I I had a completely healthy pregnancy and 
hired a doula and switched from an OB to a midwife and gave birth on my knees in a hospital at nearly 300 pounds and had this amazing, incredible, supportive experience. And after that, I just felt called to create those resources, create everything that I couldn't find almost nine years ago. And it changed the course of my life. That's <laughs> it's so really awesome. I love that. That's yeah. what's so fun for me to hear is because often the thing that people has become someone's work is usually something that was really hard to begin with. Like you don't really yeah. often have something that's super easy and you're like, oh, maybe I'll just keep going with this. You know, it's usually there's just challenge and it kind of fires you up to make it different. Yeah. I just couldn't believe there wasn't, I mean, I'd always existed in a larger body, but always thought to be healthy. And why wasn't there positive information? Everything I read online just made me feel like I would have complications. I would have gestational diabetes. I would have a cesarean birth. And because of comment sections on, you know, the internet, I was, I read things like you're a horrible person for wanting to be a mother as a mm. fat woman. And I'm like, wait, wait, what, what? So yeah. And, and sadly there's still a lot of that information. Right. And, um, I know you've had some great guests. I was listening to your episode with Dr. G and it's just like, there's so many misconceptions when it comes to people of size and the way society views and treats people of size thoroughly impacts our mental health, especially as mothers. Yes. And I, it's interesting because you were saying you, this happened to you or you ha went through your first pregnancy in 2011. Have you noticed a shift in, in terms of, I mean, I know what I feel like I've seen, but have you noticed a, a shift in like what information is available to people at this point versus that, that wasn't that long ago, but it, it, a lot of changes have been made, I would think, or do you yeah. still think there's miles to go? Um, I mean, there's, there's miles to go, yeah. but it, yeah, it was 2010 and there really wasn't a lot of positive information and in all of the medical sites, you know, like Mayo Clinic and, you know, all the big ones just really listed all your increased risks mm. that you have as people of size, but not information on how to help reduce your risk mm -hmm. <laughs> and all of that. Um, but yes, there has been a great shift. There's a lot more articles around plus size pregnancy. Thankfully to Instagram, there's the hashtag plus size pregnancy, which has uh, over 50,000 photos connected to it. And when we have images of people who look like us, it helps to normalize. And just this um, last year in 2019, I worked with the National Institutes of Health. I flew out to DC and I met with leaders in maternal health care. They put together an initiative that they worked really hard on around, um, it's called now pregnancy for everybody. So it's not just information on your increased risk, but really how to reduce those risks, how to connect with a size-friendly care provider, how to set yourself up through success. So yes, there are some incredible shifts happening, but there's still so much bias and uh, especially bias in the medical community and the way people of size are treated during pregnancy. There's still miles and miles to go, but we're making good headway. Yes. No, I think you said that very well, despite my very convoluted question. <laughs> Good, it's good. well it's so <laughs> tricky because it's like I 
I have seen such a big shift. I love seeing all the the different images that we have access to now because of social media. I guess if you cultivate that on your feed, if you want to see more different shapes and sizes and colors and bodies, you can have access to that. If you only follow like specific types of people, you might not have that. But in terms of what I have been following, I love that I have access to just real people and real bodies and, and what's going on with people. Um, and I feel like that's one of the really neat things about social media and podcasts is we have so much more access to information and not just um, sort of the people in power that decide what we have access to and what we don't have access to. And it's really been an education for me that there was so much I didn't know about experiences people have and what people go through. Um, so I feel like there's a lot of downsides to social media, but that is a very nice plus size. Well, and I love that you seek it out, Megan, right? Like that's a, that's an active choice that you make to diversify your feeds. And it's something that we need to all be far more aware of and including people who don't look like us and who have different abilities and who have different skin colors and in our social feeds to really understand what it is like in some way, in some small way to walk in the shoes of other people. And it gives us more compassion and empathy and understanding as we walk through the world. And then we're more mindful of how we talk to our kids about people who don't look like us. And that is so critically important. Yes. Well, I find that it gives me more compassion for myself too. Even if I don't have the same thing, I have some other thing, you know, we, everybody's got something. And it's just, I think it's kind of freeing when you see somebody being open about what their thing is. It makes you feel more comfortable being open about what your thing is, if that makes any sense. No, it makes so much sense. And I love that we're at this time in our lives. You know, our our mothers didn't have really the freedom to say publicly, you know, I'm I'm struggling with, you know, postpartum depression or even baby blues. Like it's so stigmatized in today's Error. There's still some stigma, of course, but it's so many more people are coming forward and sharing their stories. And it's really helping to normalize that, hey, you know, like 80% of people about get baby blues, like this is really normal. And, you know, normalizing our experiences helps us to feel supported and more importantly, helps us to feel like we can ask for help when we need to. Yeah, I love that. So in, in your work with people, what, what is the preferred, what's, I know you reference yourself as a person of size. Is that the preferred way that you like to be, or is plus size? What, or does it not really matter? You know, I, I'm cool with fat, but I know most people aren't. I think it's really important that we listen to the language people use when they Mm -hmm. talk about their body and meet people where they're at. I did a survey years ago of a hundred women and asked them what language they prefer. And plus size really was the top front runner. There were there were only two people that were okay with being called obese. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I, I wanted to interview them, but it was an anonymous survey like I just like when I, I travel the country and I talk to um, birth professionals at conferences and um, then also speak at mom conferences. And I, I talk about the language that we use. And while it's common to use the word obese in medical terminology, you know, people really don't like to be called no. obese to their face. It's very derogatory, just like, you know, advanced maternal age being called a, you know, geriatric patient. Like it's just some of the language in the medical world. But 
I use plus size, you know, the, the name of my website is plus size birth. And I also have the plus mommy podcast. Like I, I step in and own that, you know, for so much of my life, I tried to make my body smaller. And by doing so many detrimental things to do that, I only really made my body larger. And there are no amount of black clothes I can wear to disguise the fact that I'm fat. And by owning the fact that I am, I, it helps to make it less of a negative thing. And that this is my body and this is the way it looks. And because I accept my body and I love my body, then I want to take better care of my body as opposed to always harming my body to fit into some mold that it was, it will never fit into. Right. Oh, that's so good. It's funny because I have been reading with my daughter. It's, she's eight, and there's the I I've heard about them, but I've, we've never gotten to this point. But it's an American Girl doll like book about how to take care of your body or your body and its changes. I can't remember the name, but it was talking about how focusing more on what your body can do and not so much what it looks like. And I'm like, gosh, if it were only so easy, you know. But it's it's yeah. it, but if we can start earlier at an earlier age and just keep repeating that message over and over and over again, because it's hard to fight against all the images and all the cultural things that, that make you want to believe that that's not true. Um, but anyway, I just, I thought that was interesting. It's just the things that went on in my head, because I think it's something that most women probably go back and forth on, you know, you, some days you have a really good day and then some days you're like, eh. yeah, I think the best thing that we can do for our kids is to work on our own body image and our own self-love because it doesn't matter how many great books or plus size Barbie dolls or, you know, what, what we bring into the home and give to our children and the books we read to them. Well, that stuff is all critically important. If we turn around and they see us the next morning, fat shaming ourselves and standing on the scale and being devastated because we gained two pounds, it undoes everything that we try to do and instill with them because they will look at us as their role models in body image. So we really need to focus first on addressing our own issues that we learned from watching our mothers. Right. Yes. Our mothers and TV and billboards yes. and magazines. And <laughs> yes. I just want to make and sure the moms the, not are getting no. all the blame. <laughs> no, 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 no. I know. But, but, you know, we're, we're thankfully at this time where we're having more frank conversations about body image in a way that isn't as stigmatized as it always has been. And, you know, of course I don't blame my mother for my weight, but you know, there are things that she didn't know. She didn't right. know any better and that that's okay. And I'm, I'm not mad at her, but it really helps me to be more mindful about how I talk about my body and how I talk about food with my own son. So you went through this experience, but what, what were there resources that you came upon to help you get stronger in sort of like standing in your own space? Like I need to do something about this. Or was it, had you always been very confident in your knowledge that this needs to be different? It was that I was working with an OB who was like, well, we're, I'm glad you're 30. And, you know, it was more of a focus on age and we'll just see how your pregnancy goes. And my mother had natural childbirth and that was just kind of how I was raised and it was something I wanted. And five months into my pregnancy, I was um, doing water aerobics with a friend and she said she had hired a doula. And I was like, what's a doula? And so I interviewed a doula who supports people um, during pregnancy um, with information and physical support. And they're just 
really great support for not only the pregnant person, but also their family. And this doula walked into my, my home and was basically like, so you want a natural childbirth and you're with this OB at this hospital, you should have a home birth. And I, mm. I was just like, I, I'm high risk because of my size. And she's like, no, who, who's told you you're high risk? Like you, you told me you don't, you don't have gestational diabetes or anything that would classify you as high risk. And, and it was the first time that it's, I heard from someone because the internet told me I was just high risk. Mm-hmm. And then she was like, you should work with, you know, look into the midwifery model of care if this is what you want, an unmedicated birth. And so I, I met with this midwife that was like, no, no, you're, you're low risk. Like you are healthy and eating nutritious foods and being physically active and your levels are all great and fine. And, and it was the first time really in my life that a care provider, this midwife made me believe that my body was capable of being healthy at the size it was. And when I share my story and talk about what unfolded, you know, it was, it was the first time when my midwife would examine me that a care provider had ever touched my body with compassion. Mm. And that's what really shifted everything for me. In, In that moment, I realized not only that my body was capable of having a healthy pregnancy, even though all the messages I read said the exact opposite, but that I deserved a healthcare provider that didn't just see me as a number on a scale. And that's what really shifted everything and sparked this thing inside me to, to, to learn more and to write more and to share my story. And then through sharing my story, I, I launched my um, blog in April of 2011. It blew up on Facebook. This was before Instagram was around. Mm-hmm. Um, and my, my Facebook page, I thought, oh, it'll, I'll just start this and it'll be fun if it you know, gets 50 people in a month. I was getting like 50 people every day. It just grew by thousands because no one was really having this conversation around being plus size and pregnant and healthy and happy and photos, images of people plus size and pregnant. Like there just wasn't a lot of this in the context of you can have a healthy outcome. You can love your body. Your belly looks different when you're plus size. It often looks more like a B than a D in a D round belly is what we traditionally have only ever seen. And now we see bellies of all shapes and sizes and colors and marks and, and we embrace them. But even as little as nine years ago, they was, it wasn't as readily available to go onto Instagram and see all of these gorgeous images or the internet. Um, so that's what really shifted it for me was my doula and my midwife that were like, um, you're being really proactive with your health. Why, why do you believe that you can't be healthy when you're doing everything you can to be healthy? And that was such a big, big shift in my life. I love that. Well, and it's so cool to hear what the response was, because again, I think that, that being able to use technology to put your story out in the world helps so many other people who are maybe just in isolation, just going through whatever they're going through, feeling very alone. And you're providing people that hopeful space of like, we can, we can do this. We can be healthy. We can feel good. And kind of knowing that this is a safe community for people to cheer you on, you know, and not, not like you were saying the negative comments. I mean, people can comment 
about a puppy and say, you know, it's like people have negative comments about everything, but this is a space where you're going to open yourself up to, you know, people's judgment. And it's just nice to have that space and know that you're, you're safe there with whatever you're yeah. going through. Yeah. And then I became certified as a childbirth educator because I realized that this was, this was so much more than my story. And it really became thousands. I mean, my website's gotten over like 5 million hits. Like it's, it's such a bigger conversation. And I wanted to be able to not only talk to people who are, who exist in larger bodies, but also talk to care providers and talk to the medical community and share the harm that's really being done behind closed doors and things that are being told to women that, that isn't even evidence-based. Right. People are being told that um, they need to have a cesarean birth on their first prenatal visit. And something that really plays into this conversation around maternal mental health is that some people of size are being told their vagina is too fat to birth their baby. And there's no evidence behind this. Like, yes, we can talk a little bit about soft tissue dystocia, but it's like, there's no, there's nothing to prove that someone's vagina can become so fat that they can't birth their own baby. That is a clear personal fat bias that Mm -hmm. a care provider is placing upon someone. And this isn't happening just occasionally. It's, it's, it's happening a lot and it's wrong. And it really impacts how a woman feels about her body, how she feels about being able to birth her child, how she feels about intimacy with her partner moving forward, how she, it changes how she feels about her body for the rest of her life. And Mm -hmm. this is so wrong. So it has been a privilege to be able to, to share these conversations that are difficult, but they weren't being talked about as openly and giving people the courage to say, I'm not going to go back and see that care provider. I am firing that care provider. And I, you know, like I tell people all the time, like you will research so hard to find the very best pediatrician (laughs) for your children. Like you owe it to yourself to find the very best care provider for yourself. And there are so many amazing OBs and midwives that are size inclusive, but unfortunately they're, are so many studies and it's not just anecdotal and it's not just my experiences. There are so many studies now to show that when people of size feel shamed by their care provider, they are less likely to receive routine healthcare and more likely to gain weight. So when we shame someone and make them feel bad about their bodies, it actually does the opposite effect of what people are trying to have the outcome. And, you know, there's studies to show that you know, there, there was one study that showed like 50% of physicians view larger pa- patients as awkward and unattractive and non-compliant. And it's just like, oh, this is like biases that really need to be worked through. No, I love that. Well, and what I love is you're giving people information to feel empowered in those circumstances, because I think no matter how educated you are, we have sort of been raised to hold doctors on a pedestal. They have this degree that makes them smarter than us. And we are to listen to them. And I think the more information we get, the more we can become advocates for ourselves. Like, no, actually that's not accurate. You know, after that conversation with um, Dr. G, I, I, and she was talking to me about BMI and how it's not really a useful measurement of of health. And um, I went in after that with 
a couple of my kids and they were talking about, well, they gained too much weight. And I, I felt empowered to say, well, hold on a second. My understanding is that BMI is not particularly useful in the first place. Scales are not particularly useful and that you are to gain weight when you're approaching puberty. Is, is that, you know, and so I felt like I, love it. I have my information, you know, yes. and, um, and it helped create a conversation in the practice because a lot of times these are not things that are brought up in medical school. So it's not, I think in some t- sometimes there might be a bias. Sometimes there might just be a lack of information, you know, that, no, that's not actually accurate. That's, um, that's false information. So I appreciate the fact just learning things and learning how to, how to advocate for yourself is huge. Oh, it, it's incredibly important. And, you know, especially when you exist in a larger body, you've been conditioned to believe that you are going to have complications and health complications. And most of us have horror stories with care providers. You know, I recently moved and went to a new doctor and they didn't even touch my body or examine me and asked, have I considered weight loss surgery? And it's like, I'm a human being sitting here. Like Mm -hmm. I'm not even here for weight related stuff. Like this is, this shouldn't be the first thing that comes out of your mouth. And that's how it so often is. And so it creates this wall where I don't feel like I have access to healthcare that is going to treat me like a human being sitting on Mm -hmm. this table, often half naked and very vulnerable. Like I want to strive for health, but I exist in a larger body, but that doesn't mean that I can't be treated in a compassionate manner. What, what do you do in those circumstances when, when that kind of thing happens to you? Like, what do you, how do you handle that situation? I'm I'm guessing it depends on the day, but yeah, it really depends on the day and, and my temperament. Um, yeah. <laughs> in, that, in that case, you, you're I, being I, human. You are yes, human. Yes. Yeah. Um, I just said, you know, this is not why I'm here. Like, I'm not interested in information around weight loss surgery. You, you haven't even like asked me anything about myself. Like, I got confrontational because I'm exhausted mm-hmm. by the mistreatment. Um, I don't think everyone needs to call their care provider out. I think that everyone needs to do whatever they feel most comfortable in that situation. What I regret doing is not doing the research that I tell everyone to do in advance to set yourself up for success, to to help make sure that you're connecting with a size-friendly care provider as much as possible before you even are in that exam room. Yes. So I didn't do my own due diligence and research and make sure that I had found the care provider that was the right fit for me as much as I could have. Um, But I really encourage everyone in that situation, if they feel like their care provider is not meeting their needs, regardless of size or anything, whatever it is, if you're not being listened to, then you need to speak up and you need to find a new care provider and not just stick with someone because it's easy and convenient um, and really advocate for yourself and your needs. So I, I did not go back. I sent a message to that, um, an email to that care provider in that office and said, this is not how clients should be treated (laughs) and provided them with resources of why this is not right. And, um, but I've really struggled to find a new care provider too. Mm. I mean, it's, it's very, it's, it can be very, very hard. And I have a, um, I have a resource 
on finding a size-friendly care provider around um, maternity care. And that I think is a little bit easier, but finding a general care practitioner, it's, yeah, it is, it's just, it's sometimes so hard and exhausting and it doesn't, it doesn't make a lot of sense because all you want is access to healthcare. Yeah. And it that sounds like a good business hard. idea. Yeah. Start a database. Yeah, I, I do. I have a database for size-friendly care, uh, Maternity. and midwives yeah. as well as doulas. Um, I should, I should branch out into into more, but there are only so many hours. Oh, trust me. I know, I know, I know, I know all the, all the best ideas. It's like, well, we can put it out there in the universe. Somebody needs to do this. Yeah. And there are some, there are some definitely you can Google, um, size friendly care providers and find some, um, I've had people ask like, Oh, can I put my doctor who was terrible to me on the list? I'm like, I wish, but I'm not prepared to be sued. So, mm-hmm. <laughs> like, but I really encourage you if you have a bad experience with someone to write reviews, there are plenty of sites, um, where you can write reviews of care providers and speaking up is so important because then it helps someone like me. If I would have read a negative review about that doctor, I, I wouldn't have gone and seen them. And it would have saved me from that experience. That was really pretty awful. Well, and you're right. You're in just such a vulnerable, you're in your little, you know, paper napkin dress, you know, Mm -hmm. and it's just, it's a very vulnerable position to be in, but I get you. Like I've moved recently and sometimes you need care and you need it now. You don't have, you know, it's just, uh, you, you show up where you can show up, but, um, yeah. And I, I want to be clear that talking about weight isn't inherently stigmatizing. Like weight is something that we're going to talk about with our doctor, right? But it's how those conversations take place. It's how you are made to feel while those conversations take place. That is what I'm talking about here. And we very quickly can strip someone of any size of their dignity when we talk about their bodies. So, and I think that's an important point of any size. I mean, I think sometimes in the circumstance I was talking about, it was my children, but I'm like, hold on. The way you're talking about this is very shaming. You know, there's not a lot of, okay, here's why this might be happening or this is this and that is that it's just shame-based and that's not useful to anyone, you know, like child, adult, elderly person, whatever. And, you know, I'll say at my son's recent, what was it is nine year exam. I actually, cause they have you fill out that form every year, right? About everything that's mm-hmm. going on and the little surveys. And at the bottom I wrote, do not mention my child's weight or BMI. And I put that on there and, um, we can talk about health, but don't talk about BMI or weight because I'm just so tired of that being the focus of everything. Mm-hmm. And I don't want my kid to hear things that make him question his body. And so we had the most lovely conversation about how my kid likes swimming lessons and how he's being active and and what he enjoys to eat. And she was still able to get the information that she needed without it being focused on, like you said, BMI that, you know, we BMI was established in the 1900s by a statistician. Like it was never intended for what it is being used today. And so it was so great to have this conversation around health and wellness that wasn't related to weight. And there was no pushback, no nothing. And it was such a wonderful experience. And I'm like, I need to find that for myself, or I need to write that down, like on a sticky note, like 
do not talk right. about weight loss surgery yes. with me. <laughs> or maybe like a special shirt that you wear into, like it could just be, you know, just in case they miss the memo on your chart, you can just put right. it on like a button perhaps. <laughs> so oh yeah. Yeah. It's just, it's hard. What, what are some of the other, would you say are some of the other sort of issues that come up with people of size that you think that people miss, like, especially when it comes to postpartum or through the pregnancy, what are some things that maybe aren't things that are talked about enough? Sure. I, I think, you know, we've talked about just normalizing images for people of size. I think, you know, we don't talk enough that, and I mentioned it a little bit that when you're pregnant, your belly is going to look a little different when you're a person of size. And we don't talk about body image, I think for people of all sizes and pregnancy and the struggles there. And when you are a person of size, you often don't show as early as someone who exists in a smaller body does. And sometimes you don't even look pregnant until near the end of pregnancy or, or, or never at all. And so I think we don't, we don't talk about all of those conflicting feelings of feeling invisible in a larger body while pregnant and wanting strangers to come up and want to touch your body, mm-hmm. even though you don't really want that, but you don't get to have those same experiences. And so it really starts to, you know, impact your mental health and how you feel about your body. So knowing that everything that you're experiencing is normal and it's going to take longer to feel your baby move, but all of these things are, are normal and it's okay. And it's just your reality and your experience through your pregnancy and you're not alone. And I think for, for your listeners, when we're talking about plus size pregnancy, it's, it's so often easy to think of these shows that have stigmatized people of size and that we're talking about people who exist in very large bodies and are immobile. No, when we look at BMI, we're looking at 60% of women who are class who are in their childbearing years are classified as overweight or obese. So we're really looking at the majority of people mm-hmm. who are pregnant, who exist in a larger body, and then who get put in a different category during their pregnancy. Um, you know, there's plus size maternity clothes are such a frustration. They're really hard to find. So you can't even find, you can't walk into a maternity store. And there's something about having that experience that you want to experience, right? To walk into a maternity store and buy anything off the rack and you don't get those experiences. So yes, very at the very back on the left-hand corner, there's the one plus size rack. You know, mm-hmm. it's, it's very, it just really impacts your body image and your, your self-worth. And I just want to be like every other pregnant person. And, and so those things are really important that if you have a friend who's plus size and pregnant, you know, always ask their permission, like, Oh, can I touch your bump? You know, like help, help them to feel like they are just like any other pregnant person I think is really important and not making judgments and not making assumption of their health and wellness. And, Oh, are you just, you know, do you have any complication? You know, like those, those types of conversations I hear so often from people like their mother-in-law asking like, Oh, do you have gestational diabetes? And they're like, no, or, or if you do, if you do incur on the flip side, if, if you do incur any of those risks, know that people of all sizes do. There is not one thing that only plus size people incur during pregnancy. So gestational diabetes happens to people of all sizes. So 
I think just helping to normalize what it is like to be plus size and pregnant can really help someone feel less alone and less isolated during pregnancy. And then when we talk about labor and delivery, really, you know, there, there are what we've addressed around those medical biases. So unfortunately, there are things that can be said and can happen. So having a really great support team is so critically, critically important. If you can have a doula or, you know, have your partner and other people there to help support you. And postpartum, you know, we do have higher incidences of postpartum depression with people of size. Statistically, breastfeeding can be more difficult. And so really setting up a postpartum plan for success is so helpful, but knowing that there are incredible resources like postpartum.net and that you're not alone and that it's actually a really great sign of bravery and strength to ask for help if you need it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I think that's so right on. I think anytime people feel like there's something different, it can be easy to associate anything wrong that happens with that thing. You know what I mean? And I think that what you're saying is right on. It's all shapes and sizes have C-sections, have gestational diabetes, have complications, have, you know, things that go wrong or things that go right or whatever. But, um, I just think that's, it's almost like human nature, right? That we kind of like, oh, that must be because of that. You know, we, we sort of yeah. try to make sense in our own brain of it. But I love what you're saying about sort of just reminding yourself that, that this is something that happens just because we're human. This is just part of yes. what goes on. No, I love that. Yeah. What, is there anything else that you were hoping you would talk about that I haven't asked you about? You know, since we've talked so much about like the obstacles people of size face, what I love, I on my podcast, I share more about not just pregnancy, obviously that's a big passion of mine, but also just, in, you know, being a thin ally and existing in the world to help create space for people of all sizes and abilities, little things like just being aware when you're going to a restaurant about chairs with arms and picking a table instead of a booth. And when you're parking next to a car, even though you want that closer parking spot, you know, making sure you're not parking so close to the other person's car that they can't open the door all the way. I think mm-hmm. that's so important because you don't know what abilities or what size or, or if the person has a car seat, you know, to get in and out of the car, like just those little things create, they give someone back their dignity to know that they don't have to squeeze their bodies into a tight space. Mm. I think all of those things are so important. And if there's practitioners listening, making sure that their lobby has chairs without arms. There are just so many little things that I wish that as a society, we were more aware of to create a welcoming space for people of all sizes and abilities. Because when we, when we don't, when we, when we don't pay attention to those things, then it, continues to reinforce this idea that I don't deserve access to things like medical care because I am a person of size Mm -hmm. and it undoes all the things that we want to do in creating a healthy society. No, that's so good. I mean, I have never thought about the parking lot. I know I have trouble just getting, I mean, the spots are so small. So parking lot developers, Think about this. We all need more space. We all need more space yeah. to get in and out of our cars, period. I like, think our cars have all gotten much bigger. Well, that's problem. true. <laughs> yeah. That's true. But like, hello, get the memo. Like all you have to do is get new paint, you know? <laughs> yeah. And I yeah. think for people of size, it's, it's, 
this acknowledgement that you have the right to ask for what you need and to advocate for yourself. And by doing those things, it's really going to impact the way you walk through the world and also your mental health. And that's so important that you are deserving to sit comfortably in a restaurant, that you are deserving to have access to dignified evidence-based healthcare, that you, I mean, we talk about, oh, people's size need to be more active. Well, Yes, but when you go to a gym and you're made to feel uncomfortable because people are staring at you or you can't find, you know, active wear that fits your body, like there are so many obstacles that people who exist in a smaller body aren't even aware of. Mm-hmm. So the just looking at someone and smiling, even if it's a person of size walking onto an airplane and you're worried, oh my gosh, I don't want to be smushed. Mm-hmm. Instead of thinking all those things, just just smile and give someone back their dignity and humanity because we all have our own struggles, of use, as you've mentioned, Megan, and there are things that we can do to just make people feel better about themselves, yeah. which I think we all ultimately want to do as, as people and as parents and mothers, you know, create a loving and accepting space where we judge a little less and, and are kinder to one another. No, I love that. Well, you are just awesome. I would love to hang out sometime. Hopefully I'll we'll meet too. you in person <laughs> one day. So the last question I usually ask people is just, what do you do for your own self-care in this work that you're, you know, you're putting out a lot of energy to support others. What do you do to make sure you're taking care of yourself and to sort of restore your, yourself? And this is where I say goodnight. Bye. No, um, <laughs> I'm really, <laughs> I can, <laughs> I can share everyone else what to do and how to do it. But lately I have not succeeded in taking my own words of wisdom. Um, I've not been good at it lately, but I'll tell you yesterday, I like cleaned and organized my office. And that was some really good self-care of like creating a safe, organized space where I can be more productive. So I think that's one thing that I'm focusing right now is like being more organized. So I'm not existing in a state of chaos because we're, I think we wrote, we play so many roles like mom, partner, wife, you know, and then you do all this work. And so I think that's one thing that I'm, I'm really been focused on and I'm doing a 5k in March. So, you know, getting out and walking and training that, that definitely is a part of self-care, but I think my answer for you might, sorry, that was a long answer, but my short answer will be acknowledging that I'm not good at self-care and I need to be better. Yeah. Well, and I think what's interesting, and I think this is why I love this question is it's a practice, right? It's like, not like anybody is nailing self-care. I mean, it sort of (laughs) ebbs and flows, right? And so sometimes life becomes more challenging and it's not always as easy to do all the things that you know feel good. But sometimes if you can just carve out that one little thing, okay, I'm going to organize this little space and, oh, that felt really good. You know, it's, yeah. it's just sort of comes and goes, but it's, I, I mean, I'm always just interested because it's a challenge for me. Like you said, with, with all the things we juggle, sometimes I'm better at it than other times. And it's, I think that's part of the deal. Totally. Totally. (laughs) Thank you so much for talking to me. You are so awesome. And I learned so much and I'm going to share this with with my listeners and I know they'll get a lot out of it too. So I appreciate you taking the time. Oh, can you mention one more time where everybody can find out more about you? Sure. And thank you, Megan, so much for um, having me on your show. I really appreciate the 
opportunity to share the work that I'm doing. For anyone who is trying to conceive and plus size and pregnant or those who serve people in that space, you can find me at plussizebirth.com. If you are a plus size woman um, and are a mom, I have a really great massive community on Facebook uh, at Plus Mommy and then also on Instagram at Plus Mommy. I also think if you exist in a smaller body, it's a great space as we talked about at the beginning of the show to diversify your feed and really understand what it can be like to walk through the world in a larger body and showing more compassion there. I think you'll, you'll learn a lot and see photos of me in my underwear talking about living my life. So <laughs> it's a, a, Instagram is, has pushed all of us, I think, to um, wear a little less and uh, love ourselves a little more. So Wonderful. There, I love there it. You I will have be it. checking it out. Well, thank yeah, you so and much. I have the, oh, yeah. Sorry. And I forgot to mention, um, since I'm on a podcast, I have a podcast too, uh, the Plus Mommy podcast. The tagline is from bumps to bellies. We talk about it all. So we really talk about it all. So thank you again, Megan, thank so much you. for the work that you're doing and the conversations, the needed conversations that you are bringing to the forefront on your podcast as well. So thank you. Thanks. Thanks for listening to The Family Brain. If you want to join our Family Brain community, you can check us out on Facebook, The Family Brain Podcast, Instagram at The Family Brain Podcast, or online, familybrainpodcast.com. And if you would leave a review, that would just be so great. I would love it. And it helps other people find the podcast and it lets me know you're out there. And let's be honest, we got the time now. We're at home. Leave a review. That can be your activity. You can teach your children how to do it and call it homeschooling. Whatever works. Thanks for listening. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.